You're listening to the Church on the Move Roswell podcast. We hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to take your next step with Jesus. Thanks for listening, and let's check it out. Go with me to Romans chapter 5. I'm going to read this to you, what happened to that young lady after she prayed, and, and what God says about it. I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to. So it says this in Romans chapter 5. It says, our, verse 1, our faith in Jesus transfers. Everybody say transfers. God's righteousness to us. And now declares us flawless in his eyes. This means we can now enjoy, everybody say enjoy, true and lasting peace with God. All because of what our Lord Jesus, the anointed one, has done for us. Our faith guarantees us permanent access into this marvelous kindness that, he, that has given us a perfect relationship with God. What incredible joy. It says enjoy and joy two times in a row here. What incredible joy bursts forth from within us as we keep on celebrating our hope of experiencing God's glory. When those little babies closed their eyes, they opened up their eyes, they were in heaven. They, don't even, they couldn't tell you what death felt like, not one of them. We are, we are the only ones that, that sees death and cries over death. Those that die and go to heaven, they aren't crying over it. They open their eyes, they're in heaven. Immediately, it's, within, it's in a split second. They, they don't even know the difference between this life and the next. When it happens, it's so quickly that they're in the spiritual realm and they're in heaven. That Man, it's like what, they couldn't tell you what death felt like. They couldn't tell you. They couldn't tell you what death felt like because they're in, they're, they're in eternal life, all three of them. And I think that's incredible. And, and so, but it says, keep on celebrating our hope of experiencing God's glory. You know, the Bible says we grieve. Man, I've grieved. I've grieved with some of you in this room. And uh, we've grieved together, but we never grieved without hope. And this is the hope we grieve with. And my prayer is this is the hope the family will grieve with, that all those babies, those three babies are in heaven. And then it says this, but that's not all. Man, you'd think that'd be enough. But, it's, it's, but that's not all. Even in times of trouble, we have a joyful confidence knowing that our pressures will develop a, in us patient endurance. And patient endurance will refine our character, and proven character leads us back to hope. And this hope is not a disappointing fantasy. Man, heaven's not a disappointing fantasy. It's not a fantasy. It's a reality. Living for Jesus in this life is not a disappointing fantasy. It's a reality. It's a life-giving reality. And he said, because we can now, everybody say now, experience the endless love of God cascading into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who lives in us, lives in us now, right now. So we're experiencing this from the inside out. You know, last week I talked about a submarine, how it, how it handles the pressure with an inner core that handles the pressure. And we've got to have this inner confidence, this inner strength. The Bible says in 1 John, it says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world, in us. So we're supposed to live from the outside, from the inside out, whereas the world lives from the outside in. They live from the outside in. They live for what's on the outside, the flesh. We live from inside out, which is that we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, which is the Spirit of Almighty God living inside of us. 
teaching us how to live inside out. That's why it says right there that even pressure, when pressure comes, it makes us stronger, not weaker. When you're living from the inside out. And so he goes on to say, for when the time was right, the anointed one came and died to demonstrate his love for sinners who, had, who were entirely helpless, weak, and powerless to save themselves. Man, he proved his love when we were, we were totally helpless. All mankind was helpless. He said, now, would anyone dare to die for the sake of a wicked person? We can all understand if someone was willing to die for a truly noble person. But Christ proved God's compassionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. Man, we were, we were ugly. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single human being on the planet, we lived ugly lives. The world was dominated then by the Romans in the Western civilization and by tribal warfare, witchcraft, idolatry, human sacrifice, all around the world, slavery all around the world. Evil everywhere. And yet, God came to die for us. He didn't die for a noble people. He died for a sinful, evil, ugly people. I know what he died for. I mean, I know the life I lived before I knew Jesus. Man, I don't know if I had a, I don't know if I had a real good thought my whole life. Even good things I did, I did for a reason, to get something. You know, so I don't know if I had a clear, good motive. I can't remember what. I don't know if my, my thoughts were full of evil all the time. For all the time, whether it was lust or greed or, you know, insecurities and pride and all the, all the junk rolled into one, man, full of those thoughts. And you know what? It was normal. It was normal among the people that I knew. And that was our normal. It wasn't just normal 2,000 years ago. The world is the same place that it was then now. We just have better technology. But it's the same world. There's over 100 nations that slavery's not outlawed in. Over 100. It's crazy the world we live in. There's wars and rumors of wars. There's conflict and stuff happening all around us and all kinds of evil taking place. And right smack dab in the middle of that, God is saving lives. He's rescuing lives. Not good, noble lives. Ugly lives. But he takes it from ugly to beautiful. Ashes to beauty. He says this... This is great. This, this whole chapter is amazing. He said, and there is still much more to say of his unfailing love for us. For through the blood of Jesus, we have heard the powerful declaration, you are now righteous in my sight, and because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you will never experience the wrath of God. For if while we were still enemies, God fully reconciled us. That's an accounting term. He paid the price for us to, to himself through the death of his son. Then something greater than friendship is ours. Now that we are at peace with God and because we share in his resurrection life, how much more, here's another much more, we will be rescued from sin's dominion. And even more than that, I mean, it just keeps getting better. And even more than that, we overflow with triumphant, here's that word again, joy 
in our new relationship of living reconciled, purchased to God all because of one. His name is Jesus Christ, the Lord. When Adam sinned, the entire world was affected. Sin entered human experience and death was the result. And so death followed this sin, casting its shadow over all humanity because all have sinned. Sin was in the world before Moses gave the written law, but it was not charged against them where no law existed. Yet death reigned. Death reigned as king from Adam to Moses, even though they hadn't broken the command the way Adam had. The first man, Adam, was a picture of the Messiah who was to come. Now, there is no comparison between Adam's transgression, his sin, and the gracious gift that we experience. For the magnitude of the gift far outweighs the crime. Jesus didn't just cancel sin. It wasn't equal. Like, we owed a million dollars and he paid a million dollars. It was like we owed trillions upon trillions of dollars and he paid zillion upon zillion upon affinity price he he canceled the debt and some it's this is we have no debt to sin we're not slaves to sin in this life we don't have to be a slave to sin in this life if you know jesus is lord doesn't mean you want sin but you're not a slave to sin and you we will not face eternal death or the wrath of god we're not made to be children of wrath we're children of the promise we're children of the goodness of God. And so why do I say that? I say that for this reason. That in Revelations, people think, well, we're going to go through the we're going to go through all the wrath of God poured out on the world. We're not, we're not children of wrath. We get none of the wrath. And if we did live during that time, we would not experience any of it. Because it's the wrath of God poured out. We're not going to get the wrath. That's why I believe we'll be out of here before that even happens. Man, it is, this is so powerful. It says, it's true that many died because of one man's transgression, but how much greater, here we go again, that much greater, much more, will God's grace and his gracious gift of acceptance overflow to many because of what one man, Jesus the Messiah, did for us. And this free-flowing gift imparts to us much, here's that word again, much more than what was given to us through the one who sinned. For because of one transgression or one sin, we are all facing a death sentence with the verdict of guilty. But this gracious gift leads us, leaves us free from our many failures and brings us into the perfect righteousness of God, a perfect relationship, acquitted with the words, not guilty. There's more. Death once held us in its grip. By the blunder of one man, death reigned as king over humanity. But now, how much more? We are held in the grip of grace and continue reigning as kings in life. This life. We reign as kings in life. Enjoying our regal freedom through the gift of perfect righteousness in the one and only Jesus the Messiah. In other words, just as condemnation came upon all people through one transgression, so through one righteous act of Jesus' sacrifice, the perfect righteousness, that just means the relationship that makes us right with God and leads us to a victorious life, is now available to all. One man's disobedience opened the door for all humanity to become sinners, so also one man's obedience opened the door for many to be made perfectly right with God and acceptable to Him. Chapter 6, verse 12. 
Sin is, is a dethroned monarch, so you must no longer give it an opportunity to rule over your life, controlling how you live, compelling you to obey its desires and cravings. Wow. I mean, this, this, is, this is like, there's more, and then there's more, and then there's much more, and then there's greater, and then there's much more on top of greater. It just gets better and better and better and better what Jesus Christ has done for us. And you don't, you're not, you don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. And I'm going to explain why tonight. I'm going to explain why. That you have, you have the spirit of the holy God working within you to will, to want to, and to do his good pleasure. And so it's important we understand that. That he put his spirit in us to will and do his pleasure, but his spirit comes into us and in in our desire to do his will and to obey him is a seed. It comes in seed form. It comes in seed form. So he sows this seed of a new life in us, but we know, if you know anything about agriculture, the seed must die to produce fruit. So we must die to ourselves in order for that seed to start producing of the Holy Spirit that he places inside of us when we accept Jesus Christ as Lord. Then we start producing fruit. Then we stop being a hearer and become a hearer and a doer of the word. We become obedient to Christ. We start doing things that we know are right. And we don't, there's three types of obedience. You need to write this down. Three types of obedience. One, slavery. I have to do it. Someone's making me do it. That's one type of obedience. But I, I'll tell you right now, no one who's being made to do stuff wants to do, live like that. Wants to live like that. Number two, there's I have to do it. Um, I have to obey. Let me give you an example. I have to obey my boss or I will lose my job. I have to. Then there's a third type of obedience. I want to. I want to obey. I want to do it, and because I want to, I will do it. And the more you have a want to, the more you will do. When you have a want to do it, you will, you will do more of what you want to do, and you'll enjoy it. You know, if you've ever raised children, and, you, and they're old enough to have jobs around the house, chores or whatever, they have to do their part, Man, there's, there's a couple ways they do things. Now, they act like number one, like they're slaves. But they forget, they forget all the time that that bedroom and that AC and that heat and that food on the table didn't come free to you. Now, they grow up thinking it's free. It's like, hey, I showed up and everything's free. Everything's free. Like no one has, they don't, they don't pay attention when mom and daddy go to work. It's free to them, right? And so they act like they're slaves. Hey, this is all free. Why do I have to do anything? And, and so, you know, there'd be times when you're training them that nothing's free and they have obligations and responsibilities to the family and they need to learn some self-discipline and do some things. When you're training them, there's times where they'll do stuff with an attitude. And usually, Julie and I get so frustrated, we run them off. Like, if you're going to be here griping and complaining, just get out of here. I'd rather do it in peace. 
You know, and I'd tell my boys, hey, you grab the trash. Well, I took it out last time, and so-and-so, and, you know, and, and, I'm, and they're mumbling all the way out the door, and I get mad then. I'm like, don't talk to me out of the back of your head, boy. Don't you talk to me out of the back of your head. You got something to say, turn around and say it. I don't care if they're seven or 17. They're not talking to me out of the back of their head. And I turn them around, and I'll say, hey, you're going to do this, and you better put a smile on your face. Does that sound familiar, Colton? Because we're going to do it. We're going to do it. And he's, he was a great kid. He was, he's a lot, he was easy to raise. Oh, Colton was. He's a helper. He'll do stuff. But if he griped and complained, he made sure I didn't hear him. He was smarter than a couple of the other ones. And so, but, I, you know, you like it when they go, sure, I got this, man. Yeah, this is like Christmas, man. I, you know. Thank you for letting me do this for you. You're all laughing because that don't happen, right? But God wants us to have that attitude. I've been talking about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and that when you walk in the reverence of God, that's the beginning of learning how to obey him when you respect him. That's the beginning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of learning how to obey, that you respect and reverence God. You take God seriously at what he says. Just like the scripture that was read a moment ago. God's not ever mocked. Man, some, someone, somewhere along the line, we as a people need to understand. And you know, it's crazy to me. And, and you know, guys, I violated it too, so I'm not, I'm not picking on anybody or pointing anybody out. But listen, it's crazy to me that we can't get in our heads that oranges grow oranges and, and corn grows corn and, and cantaloupes grow cantaloupes and, and pine trees produce other pine trees and willow trees produce willows and that everything, and human beings don't produce cats and dogs, they produce human beings. Cats and dogs don't produce elephants. Elephants produce elephants. And it's so simple, and God makes it so simple that he says, whatsoever a man soweth, he reaps. And it's like, we, we need to understand that. We need to understand that. And when you sow obedience, not just out of reverential fear, there's another part to this I'm going to get to. Reverence and fear of God will, is the beginning of wisdom, and it's where we begin to obey because we respect him. But there's another whole level of serving. It's not you doing your job, your duty, your responsibilities to God and just ha feeling like you have to do it or you're made to do it with a wrong heart. God wants to take us to a whole other level where we joyfully obey joyfully obey, that we do it because we know God asked us to do it. And we might not ever see the benefit of it immediately. You know, so many people obey because they, they hear, well, if I obey, I get this and I get that. Man, when, when, what, there's going to come a time God's going to ask you to do something. You're not going to see an immediate benefit from it, but there's a benefit coming. Put up Genesis chapter 22. I'm going to show you a great example as you're, oh man, there's so many good examples. We got Genesis chapter 22, verse 2. Well, it's, oh, okay. It's 1 through 20, all right. Got them all. Now, this is verse 2. It says this, this talking to Abraham, and he said, Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, Moriah, 
Now, I'm going to stop right there. Leave that up there. Moriah. Moriah is where they built Jerusalem. And most people believe that Abraham is taking Isaac to the same place as Jerusalem onto the same mountain that Jesus was crucified on. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the, of which I shall tell you. So he's, he's taken him. Most people believe that Abraham, Moriah, is exactly where they built Jerusalem. That's where Jesus was crucified. So they believe he was taking him right to Golgotha, which was a hill outside of Jerusalem. That he's saying, Abraham, take Isaac to the same place. Verse, next verse. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. He rose when? Early in the morning. There's obedience and then there's immediate obedience. We would try to teach our children what we call first-time obedience. Nowadays, we count. Hey, do this, one. Do that, two. Do that, 14. Do that, 25. If you don't do it, on 30, I'm going to come whoop your butt, boy. I'm a, you know, we get, we do. But you know what? We need to teach our children first-time obedience. First time. I don't know about you, but my first time is like, hey, can you get this done? My second time is, hey, hey, yeah, I was talking to you. It's like my wife said one time, she was, she was going through the list of boy names, talking to one of them. She's like, Tyler, Cody, Garrett. And I don't know which one it was. said, I'm none of those. That's not my name. And she said, new rule. If I'm looking at you, I'm talking to you. I don't care what name I call you. That's a new rule. And so, you know, um, where was I at? I forgot where I was going with that. What was I talking about there? Oh, first time obedience. And so I know the second time, the third time it's a little louder. Fourth time, you know, by the time you're fed up, it's like you started here. Hey, can you get this done? Hey, hey, yeah, I was talking to you. Can you get this done? Hey, hey, by the way, have you got that done? Hey, oh. And then you're up here. Well, I got tired of being mad all the time. So I said, Julie, we're going to start teaching our children first-time obedience. And so we're like, hey, can you get that done? Oh, you didn't do it? Okay. Here, you got a little time out. You got a little spanking, whatever it was. You got taking that toy away from you. I mean, this is just, we started having immediate, because guys, listen, as parents, we're training our children to obey or not obey God. To obey or not obey God. And if we want to train them like our father in faith, he's our father in faith. He's not just a Jewish father. He wasn't a Jew. You know, you know he wasn't born a Jew? He was born a Gentile. God separated him out and called them the Jewish people. Abraham was a Gentile. That became a Jew, started the Jewish nation. But he was just like us. And he's called the father of faith to all of us, to every, every, every person on the planet. He's the father of faith. And so, but he had, he grows up early in the morning. He's, I mean, Abraham's obedient, man. And what he was just told was to kill his only son. I would have been him hawing some. 
Like, what? Surely that's the devil. Surely that's not you, Father. Not him. He knew his father's voice. And he rose up early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. He immediately split the wood. He, he got up, split the wood, got them all rounded up, packed everything, and started to, and took off. Next verse. On the third day, isn't that familiar? On the third day, took him three days to walk. Now, Think about it. He's walking three days knowing God had just told him to sacrifice his son. Most people illustrate Isaac as a little boy. Isaac's not a little boy. Some people think Isaac could have been as much as 30 years old at this point. But he was definitely not a little boy. I'm going to show you why we know he wasn't a little boy. And so on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. Next verse. And Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. Next verse. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. This isn't a baby. It's not a five-year-old or four-year-old. He put that whole thing of wood on his son. The whole thing of wood. Does that sound familiar? So now Isaac is carrying wood up to the top of the mountain right outside of Jerusalem, just like Jesus carried the wood. And he took the fire in his hand in a knife, and the two of them went together. Next verse. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire in the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Isaac notices now there's something missing. Got a knife, got wood, we have fire. I know my dad's about to do a sacrifice. There is no lamb. Who's getting sacrificed here? Isaac's not a little boy, and Abraham's 100 and something years old. He's probably 120, 30 years old at this point. He's an older man. Isaac could overpower him right now. You know, everybody points to Abraham's obedience, but I want to point to his Isaac's. It's one thing to be the one yielding the knife. It's another one to be the one on the offering, on the altar. He doesn't fight back nor say a word. That's why it says in Isaiah that Jesus did not mutter a word, but silent, silently became the lamb that was slain. God had to find a man that was willing to sacrifice his only begotten son. That's why Isaac only had one son from Sarah that was willing to do. Covenant means everything I have is yours and everything I, you have is mine. It's an equal exchange. So in order for God to send Jesus sometime later, he had to find a man. That's why he picked Abraham. He knew Abraham would do it. He said, I'm going to give you a son. And that's why it had to be a miracle son. That when he was 100 and Sarah was 90, they had a miracle child. Because he had to, it had to be a miracle. Jesus was a miracle. This child had to be a miracle. And it had to be his only begotten son, his only child. Just like, just like Jesus is God's only begotten son, his only child. Had to be. For there to be a covenant. And so, 
He says, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Where's the lamb? Next verse. Your neighbor has said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. At this point, Abraham's saying God will provide a lamb. And so he knows that Isaac's the lamb. He's already told what's going to happen. God told him, go sacrifice him. Next verse. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in, the, in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Again, we don't hear one word from Isaac. Isaac's old enough to fight back. He's old enough to run away. So he didn't get bound on that altar by accident. He laid down, just like Jesus laid down his life. Isaac laid down his life and said, okay. And Abraham bound him up, probably so he wouldn't move. And Isaac led him. Man, we t everybody talks about Abraham a ton. But guys, I think the, tr the person in this the person in this picture is a picture of Jesus. It's not Abraham. It's Isaac. They both trust God at a high level. But I don't know if it, I don't know if it takes more. I, I, that's just heart-wrenching. What does it take for a father to sacrifice his own son? And what does it take for a son to allow that to happen to him? I mean, guys, that's so equally heart-wrenching. I can imagine the three days they're walking, Abraham's thinking, the, all the emotions, and Satan trying to talk him out of it. and you know, Be disobedient. Be disobedient. Why are you being obedient? This is your only son. Da, 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 da. The same things he says to us when, we're, when he's asked, God's asked us to do something that we can't see an immediate result. We can't see immediate result, but he's, God told us to do it, so we just keep doing it. And we don't see an immediate result. And he tries to talk us out of being obedient. Satan always tries to talk you out of being obedient. And you're a flesh wheel. Like, this isn't working out good for me. You know he's thinking, this can't be good. Isaac's going to die, my only son. I'm the one who's going to kill him. What do you do when God tells you to do something that makes no sense? You look to the word. You look to the word of God and you confirm it in the word. What do you do if you're doing stuff and you're believing God and you're standing on the word and it's not happening, you don't see an immediate result. You do what they, those two did. You keep doing what God told you to do. Next verse. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Next verse. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. Do you notice in the first verse of Genesis 22, you didn't see that? God, that angel called to him and said, Abraham, and he said, here I am again. You know what that means? That means when God calls, he's like, I'm your man. I'm the man. Here I am. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to obey. I'm ready to do anything you ask of me. I trust you. I reverence you, and I love you. And so he's always, here I am. I'm your man. I'm available. What do you want me to do? When you start taking on that attitude with God, that you're a here I am person, not that you do everything. Some people think, well, I'm going to volunteer for everything. Man, God's not asking you to do that. He's just asking you to do what he told you to do. 
what he told you to do. And so whatever he tells you to do next, you just got to be a here I am person. Here I am, Lord. I'm ready. Let's go. Tell me what to do. Tell me what direction to, do, to go. And I'll obey it. Next verse. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you, now I know that you, how do we know we fear God? We obey him even when it makes no sense. We trust him even when it makes no sense. We trust him even when he offers us to sacrifice much. We trust him. Even when we see it's going to be a sacrifice and we don't see an immediate result and we don't think there's going to be an immediate result, but we say, God, here I am. You tell me, you give me instructions, God, I will follow. I will follow. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. Then he says this, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Let me, let me translate that, since you've, since you've obeyed me. Since you obeyed and you were willing to sacrifice. I'm sure right after killing Isaac, if Isaac was dead, I'm sure Abraham would have died quickly after that. Sarah too. Can you imagine him thinking about walking back to Sarah and saying, Honey, I sacrificed our only son today. How heartbreaking, heart-wrenching, ripping apart the family that would have been. These are all the emotions. These are human beings. These are all the emotions, all the thoughts he had to overcome and say, God, I know your voice. I know, I don't know the voice of a stranger. I know my God's voice. I know it when you speak to me, and I know it was you, and I'm going to obey. I'm going to obey. He said, but since you did not withhold your son, your only son from me. You notice he always says, your son, your only son. He emphasizes that. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. When he found a man willing to sacrifice his one and only son, it met the condition for Jesus, God, to send his one and only son. The difference is the difference in outcomes. Isaac lived. God did not didn't require Abraham to take Isaac's life. He never was going to. But he did require his son's life. He didn't, he didn't have a substitute show up for Jesus. Jesus took it all the way. Sacrificed his life that we could live. Next verse. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket. By its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. Do you know in John, the book of John, it says something about Abraham. It says that he, he had such joy anticipating Jesus coming. Can I explain that to you? It's this moment right here. When Abraham realized that he wasn't going to take his life, that God was going to provide a substitute, he was going to provide a male a uh, uh, sheep, a male lamb to, to sacrifice. He knew, right when he saw it, he said, oh, this is God's plan. Jesus, he's sending his son. He's going to send his son, and he's going to be a substitute so I don't have to die, and you don't have to die uh, in, in eternal death. Jesus is going to die for us. 
And so he knew right then, he saw right then God's plan of Jesus coming later. That's why it said that Abraham, man, he longed, he longed to see this day of Jesus coming. Because he saw it this day. And all this happened to him because he was obedient to God. Next verse. Substitute for his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord my provider. And it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Next verse. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven. Next verse. And said, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord. This is, this is the Lord speaking. Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only, here it is again, your son, your only son. Go again. Blessing I will bless you. And multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. Next verse. And your seed and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. You want to bless the next generations of your family? You want to bless other nations? You want to bless this city? You want to bless your community? You want to bless your family? Obey the Lord. When he speaks and says, hey, it's time to start reading my Bible more. It's time to start praying. It's time to, it's time to do this. It's time to start working harder. It's time to get a better attitude. We'll pick this up next Wednesday. I'm going to talk about the second feature that we have to have in order to truly not just obey, but obey with joy. We obey with joy. We need the second part. So don't miss next Wednesday. You get the second part. And you're not going to be able to watch online because I'm going to black it out. No, I'm not doing that. I'm sorry, I'm not doing that. Listen, every eye closed. First step of obedience is understand what I read in Romans 5 that we were all lost. All humanity was lost. Every human that's ever existed, every human that exists and will exist is lost. We're born into a lost, evil world. That's why we have ugly stuff happen. God didn't take those babies, God received those babies into heaven. But it's this fallen, evil world that causes tragedies like that. And we have an enemy named Satan that wants to destroy us all, rip us apart. And you have an opportunity to either serve Satan or serve God. And God's given you a choice. And there are no, there's not a third choice. There's not other options like, well, I just don't believe anything. Well, you're serving Satan. He wants you to not believe anything. Well, I, I love Jesus. I hate the church. That's exactly what he wants you to think. Well, I believe there's a thousand ways to heaven. That's exactly what he wants you to think because Jesus said there's, he's the only way to heaven. Well, what about, what about all the evil in the world? I'll tell you all about the evil. It's very simple. It's two plus two equals four. It's not complicated. Satan and people get together and all the evil in the world comes from that. All of it. God is neither 
tempted by evil, nor does he tempt with evil. He'll put you to the test. He will. He'll test your faith. To grow it, not, to, not for you to fail. And if you fail, he'll give you a test again. He's not trying to get you to fail. He's trying to grow you. But if you're in here tonight, I'm so grateful for Church on the Move, for the people of this church that value this moment, that pray like me over this moment. I'm so grateful that that young 15, 16-year-old girl prayed here last Wednesday. I'm so grateful. Maybe you're the one now. And I'm not trying to take advantage of that moment at all, guys, not at all. My heart goes out to parents. I'm a parent. I'm a grandparent. I'm a friend. I've done funerals for people who've lost children. It's, it's sad, man, guys. It's sad. But, but there's a lesson in that moment. When will you start living for Jesus? When will you learn that it's only in giving your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, giving your life to Him that you truly begin to live? That by claiming your life, doing it your way, how you want to do it, how you feel, your truth, your this, that's how you lose your life. And you know what's sad is? I know I live that way without all those millennial terms and all the latest terminology. We just all live that way. But we all knew when we got alone with our thoughts that we were lost. That we really, we were the blind leading the blind. Don't you? If you've realized, if you've come to realize that without the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no life. Without hope, there's no life. Without faith in God, there's no life. You can't overcome troubles. You live, you live and relive moments of your life over and over and over again. It's a vicious cycle and circle. When are you going to break it and let Jesus save you? He, here's the thing. He won't make you get saved. He won't force you to it. He offers you the gift. He's, it's a gift. I didn't earn it. You don't earn it. He gives it to us as a gift. It's not a gift if we worked for it. That's pay. This is a gift. We can't get it on our own. But he's given you a gift of salvation. He's going to save you from a lifetime of being a slave to sin in this life. A lifetime of living without a true purpose. The only real purpose, which is to fulfill the will of God for your life. And he's going to save you from an eternal death and give you eternal life. But it's your choice. Whether online or sitting in this room right now. And if, if you're watching online, maybe you're watching and it's Thursday or Saturday or another time. Later tonight. But you know you're lost. It's time for you to consider surrendering your life to Jesus. And I don't water it down. It's truly an act of surrender. 
And you won't be perfect at it, but man, as you grow closer to him, he'll grow closer to you and you'll get better at it. You'll get better and better. So if you've never prayed and you're watching online, or you've never prayed and you're you're sitting right here, let's pray together. Don't miss this moment. Don't miss it. Don't miss this moment. Or maybe you've known him and you've ran away from home. You just need to come back again. Come on. We'll welcome you home. But more importantly, he will. He won't reject you. Run to him, not away from him. So if either one of those are you, first time or next time, online, just make a little note in that message board and say, I'm praying for the first time or the next time. Do it right now. And those in this room, if you want to pray with us, I'm going to ask you on the count of three, one, two, three, I'm asking you to raise your hand up high and say, it's me, I need to get right with God when I, when I count there. And then right where you're sitting and right where you are online, we're going to pray together, all of us together. So if that's you and you want to get right with God before you leave here, One, two, three. Raise your hand up right now and say it's me. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Wow, all over this room. That's awesome. It's incredible. Thank you all. Let's pray. Let's all pray together. Say this with me. Say, God, I believe that you are God and God alone. That you love us. You sent us a gift your son, your only son. And he died on a cross for our sins, my sins. But you raised him from the dead on the third day. And he's alive. And I believe it. And because I do, I ask that you forgive me of all my sins, all the times I've disobeyed you, rebelled against you, hurt myself and hurt others. And I receive, because of the blood of Jesus, your forgiveness. And I say to you, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. You are the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of my life. And I receive the Holy Spirit. Teach me now to live for you, to obey you, to be a blessing. Walk in your blessings and give your blessings away to live out the purpose and the destiny that you created me to live. Thank you. Until I see you in heaven, thank you. In Jesus' name, so be it. Amen. Come on, let's thank the Lord. He's good. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to find out more about Church on the Move, like our service times, or how you can connect with us, you can visit cotmroswell.com.